This programme was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. Hello and welcome to Alive with Wagner. Thank you for listening to today's show where I will be discussing my journey to my heart. For those of you new to the show, I am Bhavna Nagar. I've worked as a clinical psychologist for the past 20 years, both in New Zealand and in South Africa, where I come from. I came to New Zealand 14 years ago. My business is called Alive Psychology. Although my mindfulness practice started in South Africa, it grew and matured into the self-love practice here in New Zealand. This resulted in me writing a book entitled Self-Love, The First Step that gives people tools on how to improve their relationship with themselves. The book combines trusted psychological approaches with reliable mindfulness practices, so you get the best of both worlds. Today's talk is a bit of a personal journey, which I'm hoping that some of you will find useful in terms of understanding your journey. In my TEDx talk that was recorded in 2020, I spoke about a bit about my journey to self-love. In the talk, I spoke about how, despite growing up in a so-called normal, healthy home environment, where I was not exposed to any violence, neglect, abuse externally, I still had a negative view of myself. My external world was safe, loving home, with good friends, schooling, and I performed well academically. My internal world, my thoughts, was shaped in part by me growing up in apartheid South Africa, where being an Indian was perceived as being less than a white-skinned person. I also grew up in an Indian community, where being female was being perceived as less than male. So these two background messages told me that I was not good enough. Since learning more about trauma responses, I've learned of other reasons for my negative internal world, that I internalized the messages from my parents that I took to mean I was not good enough. For example, if they scolded me for crying too much or too often, attachment theory states that I would choose attachment, that is, being accepted by my family over being who I am. So... I learned that if I was loud, a crybaby, that people around me did not want to see my emotions. So, to fit in and be accepted, I had to suppress that part of me. I had to push it aside and pretend that it did not exist. I had to choose attachment over authenticity, over being myself. In my outer world... Those negative parts of me that I suppress did not exist or did not come out as often. But in my mind and heart, it was still there and I was constantly fighting that unacceptable part of myself. In this way, I was warring with myself all the time. I now think of this as trying to keep a a ball underwater. It takes a lot of effort to keep it underwater And the second that you are distracted, it pops to the surface. That is part of why I lived in two worlds. My happy, perfect external world 
and my tumultuous internal world. For the most part, I think that the people around me bought the image of me being happy, content. And I was that person when I was with my friends, more often than not. I enjoyed being with my friends and going to school. I had fun and I felt that I could count on them and that I could be me when I was with them. At home, the inner discord was stronger and especially during my adolescence where I was moody and angry. Looking at back at those years with insight and wisdom that I have today, I can see why I was so distressed. One of the reasons that I did not like being female. I never wanted to be biologically male. I just wanted to be accorded the male privileges. I did not like what being female meant in my culture, or more accurately, my perception of what being more woman meant in my culture. To me, it meant that I was a servant of the man that I will marry one day. In my mind, being woman equaled being a servant or a slave. The married woman I saw around me did not appear to have a life outside of serving their families, their husband and their children. Even the professional women were treated as if their work was a hobby and their real job was to serve and care for their husbands and children. This is what I did not want for my future. And this is why I did not want to be female. From the point of view of attachment theory, I not only rejected my feelings that I felt was unacceptable, I also rejected my body because it classed me as a second-class citizen. No wonder I was so miserable being in this body and living at home, where I felt that this dreaded future was inevitable. I rejected my mother because she represented my future. One of the ways that I could see to escape my future was to study. As long as I was studying, I was free from being asked when I would get married. So, I got into a field of study that took over 10 years. I remember my telling my professor in my honors course that as long as I was studying, I could avoid my perceived slave future. Studying psychology was great. The more I studied, the more I learned about me. How everything that I took to be real was filtered through my biases and there was no objective reality. It was all perception. That's why eyewitness accounts are not as accurate as we think it is. People see what they want to see. Or, more accurately, people interpret the visual stimuli through the lens and come out with a conclusion that supports their biases. I loved learning about me and how I came to think the way I did. But psychology only got me so far with that inquiry. The bigger understanding about myself came when I started doing mindfulness. My introduction to mindfulness was complete immersion. I attended a 10-day silent retreat. Like most people, when you say silent retreat, I was terrified of the silence because I knew that I would be stuck with me. I would have no distractions and have to live with me for 10 days. I could not think of a worse hell than being with myself 
for 10 days without any distraction. In retrospect, I was worried about the silence because I thought, what if, after the 10 days, I realize that I don't like me? Then what? I'm stuck with this me that I don't like. What I didn't realize was that I was already treating me as if I did not like myself. I was already treating myself as if I was nothing, which supported my mental scripts that was formed when I chose attachment over authenticity, and it was reinforced each time I repeated that choice. Each time I suppressed a part of who I am to fit in and belong, I split a bit more from myself. I disliked myself a bit more, and over time, the gap became massive. I hated who I was. In that retreat, I learned traditional mindfulness. So I understood the nature of the mind and how my thoughts create my distress. I learned how to bring my mind back to my body, back to reality. I learned the constant changing nature of reality. And as a result, I felt happier, calmer, more relaxed. <clears throat> but it did not help me with learning how to like myself or to change my relationship with myself. Instead, it helped me to expand the gap within myself. I now had the emotions or the bodily feelings and a separate observer. So two separate aspects of me that had no relationship or interaction with each other. This felt unhealthy to me. In stepped my next teacher, who encouraged me to practice the loving-kindness or heart-focused mindfulness practice. Because of how I felt about myself, my intense dislike for myself, my feelings of not being worthy, spending time with myself and giving me loving-kindness thoughts was extremely difficult. I felt that I was being super indulgent and self-centered by focusing on myself. Which is ironic, because I had no problem with the traditional mindfulness, which is also solely focused on me. But that was mental, mind stuff. And focusing on the mind is okay. That's what we do in society. But focusing on the heart, focusing on feelings that I perceived as self-indulgent and self-centered... While doing the heart-focused practice, I realized how mean I was to myself, how much I disrespected me, abused and belittled myself, how I punished myself by taking away joy and happiness, how I lived out the scripts that I developed when I chose attachment over authenticity. And here's the kicker. I didn't even feel that the attachments that I sacrificed everything for was real. How could it be real? They didn't know me. I didn't know me. How can you like or be attached to a persona, an idea? The healing started when I became aware that my mind was like a two-year-old. Developmentally, this is when the mind starts coming into its own. We don't call it the terrible twos for no reason. Like a two-year-old child, my mind talks non-stop. It loves repetition. It's self-centered. 
and it does not think about the consequences of what it says. Exactly the same as the mind. That's when the idea of the loving parent developed. If the mind is a two-year-old, then it needs a loving parent to help, guide and support it to be a healthy member of society. So I started to parent my two-year-old mind with love and compassion each time she told me something that I considered to be verbal abuse. Words or tone of voices that I did not like other people using on me or that I would not use on other people. And amazingly, my mind responded to being parented. The first time I told my mind, you can't speak to me that way, it went, okay. I was shocked and a bit confused because I'd struggled to control my mind, to get it to stop doing things in the past with no success. And this parenting the mind worked so easily. With that success, I continued to build on parenting my mind. This resulted in me feeling more at peace, more connected with myself. I felt the divide between the mind and the body becoming less. But in the initial days, I was still focused on the mind, parenting the two-year-old mind. This helped me to bring my mind closer to my body, seeing it as part of my body. The body part of my loving-kindness practice was initially touching my body, feeling that I was in this body, connecting my mind and my body through the sense of touch. This was the same practice as my first mindfulness meditation practice, but rather than seeing the body and mind as separate, they were now connected. When I felt pain or an emotion, rather than observing it from a disconnected point of view, I held that part of me as a loving parent would hold their child in pain or sadness. I felt like I was there for me, that I had my back, which was a very different feeling to hating myself and not wanting anything to do with me. As this practice evolved, I started feeling lighter and happier. But that felt wrong. I was not allowed to be happy for no reason, or so I thought. Again, with a loving parent, I slowly allowed myself to feel happy and peaceful. Initially it felt wrong, and I thought that someone was going to scold me for being happy. I had practiced being miserable for so long, and that is all that I saw around me. So the idea of being happy was somehow doing life wrong. On more occasions than I can count, I still sabotaged my happiness with my mind focusing on my go-to story to put me in my place, to keep me where I thought I belonged. It would let me be happy for a little while and then bring in its big stick to put me in my place. This has been the hardest and the longest challenge in my journey. The setting myself free to live fully, to be free, to be happy. Psychologically, these happy states do not fit in with the negative mental scripts that I've been writing and reinforcing since my birth. 
the messages that I'm not good enough, that I don't matter, that I don't belong. Listening to the scripts and living according to them was all that I knew until this time. Changing it felt scary and wrong. It felt as if I was betraying myself. But the truth was I betrayed myself when I developed those scripts, when I chose attachment over authenticity. By doing these loving-kindness practices, I realized that I was building attachment with myself. I was committing to being there for myself. And unlike the external attachments, this one felt secure and safe. I could forget it was there. And that by a thought would help me reconnect with it. So I did not go around feeling connected, whole and happy all the time. I forgot to feel this way very often. That was when I went into mind contact and I would feel scared and alone. But just as quickly, I would bring my mind back to being connected with myself, just with a thought and my moods would change. The next step of the journey was when I came across a practice where the person used the words, welcome home to yourself. I transformed this practice into a loving-kindness practice. Still keeping with the parenting analogy, this practice is about welcoming yourself home to yourself. And that's the words. Welcome home to yourself. You are welcome just as you are. Nothing is required. Just to be here is enough. Just to be as you are is more than enough. And sitting with those ideas in meditation helped me change my relationship to myself. This has been a massive step in my self-love growth. With this practice, I was able to build a safe home in and for myself, within myself. Home is the place we go to when we are scared, angry, happy or excited. Home is the place we go to where we feel safe and we can just be and let go of anything we have to do. This last part of the journey was to welcome home parts of me that I split from myself when I chose attachment over authenticity. As a loving mother, I would welcome those parts of me home. I would sit with it and just let it be, holding that part of me, apologizing to that part of me for kicking her out of the house, but welcoming her home back. And the most recent practice has been a gratitude practice. And again, this is an aspect of moving the loving-kindness journey a bit further. This practice helps me to see all the aspects of my life as a gift and a blessing. I see my body as a gift. I see my mind as a gift. It's not something I own. It's something that's been gifted to me to use and to enjoy in this life. As a result, I've completely changed my relationship with my mind and my body. I now thank them for doing what they do. I now appreciate myself in a way I could never have imagined before. 
I am so much happier, more peaceful and relaxed in life. I love being alive. I still parent the two-year-old. I still support her in ways that if she's doing something that I don't like by going, Mm-mm, we don't do that. And the response has always been, okay, no problem. Um, so I continually grow in the self-love. And this journey will grow as long as I love. I was talking to a friend recently and she spoke about how she loves traveling to explore and to see other cultures. I told her that I get the same high from going on retreats, from learning and exploring who I am, watching how how I am evolving, growing and changing. For me, this is the greatest adventure, watching and being part of my unfolding life. I guess this is the way some parents feel about their children, watching them grow into adults, what kind of a man or woman she will be. But the growing that I am doing will only stop the second that I die and not a moment before then. Thank you for listening to my journey. If you'd like to contact me, all my details are on my Facebook, on my website, which is alivepsych.co.nz. And my TEDx talk is also on there. You can find me on Facebook under Alive Psychology. Thank you. Have a good day. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.